Psalm 24 is a, uh, uh, and a, really, I think, a, a, an important passage for us when it comes to worship. Um, how many know that worship is important to God? Yeah, it's very important to him. It's, um, it's one of those things that he promises to respond to, and and as we worship the Lord, there are certain, certain uh, requirements, if you will, um, that, that the Lord puts out in front of us that says, hey, look, if you're going to approach me, this is what you need to expect. This is, this is part of, of that um, protocol, if you will. In, in a similar way, we have protocols that we, we follow in regard to how uh, we approach other people. Um, very often, I, I have to tell you, at this, at this church, the way you approach people most of the time is like this, right? How many times have you had your hand shaken? More than you want, probably. Um, and, but the, that's, that's part of, it's part of our culture. And in every culture, there, is, there are welcoming protocols that say, hey, let's enter into conversation. Let's Let's interact with one another. And in the same way, as we approach God in worship, he has some, some protocols that we need to be aware of. Now, the cool thing is, is that um, these protocols that we're gonna, going to talk about tonight are um, things that he already supplies for us. It's kind of cool that, that he, uh, he requires this, but... But it's not, uh, well, we'll find out that it's not based upon our own, our own ability, but based upon his provision for us, that we have this free access to the, the Lord of all. And, and uh, so tonight we're going to dig in a little bit that way. Um, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all. All it contains. Did I say all? All it contains. The world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, who has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. That's a pretty big deal. If you have no, no other verse uh, underlined in this text, that's a big one. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness where? From God of the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of Jacob. Selah. Anybody know what that word means? We talked about it several weeks ago. It means pause. It uh, means interlude. We had a Selah in one of the worship songs that we, we just sang. And it was 
uh, accompanied by a guitar solo, right? There's a pause in that, in that offering of worship. And so, so there is a pause here. Now there's a shift as well. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? There we go. Let's do it together. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Yeah. Now, we find a whole bunch of instruction here in this text, and it, and it has to do with our worship of the Almighty God. Verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. I have to ask, uh, put your thinking cap on. Is everything in the earth the Lord's? Does it all belong to him? Seriously? Now, what about, what about all the stuff that we point to as ungodly? Does that belong to the Lord? Hmm? What about, what about all that stuff that we call sin? sinfulness and, the, and the, the, uh, the results that it leaves behind, the wake that it leaves behind. Does that belong to the Lord? You would think so. All right. Well, good. What about the demonic? Does that belong to the Lord? He's in charge of that too. You're right. You guys are right on, the, right on the track because this is speaking about the sovereignty of God. Um, reader one and reader two, would you be ready? Reader one, would you come and read for us Psalm 89, verses 11 through first half of verse 12. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all it contains, you have found that you have found them. The north and the south, you have created them. Yes, you have founded them. That's that means the Lord is the the yes, He's Creator from the very beginning. It's not as if there was stuff before He created it. He created it all. And reader number two. Psalm 104, verses 24 and 25. O Lord, how many are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. There is the sea, great and broad, in which all swarms are, in which all swarms without number, animals both small and great. Yeah. The earth is full of your possessions. It's full of everything that God, God has sovereignty over. It all belongs to him. I'd like for us to turn to 
1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's interesting that in, um, in our life together as believers and um, I, certainly within the traditions of, of the Jewish culture, there is what is known as that which is unclean and that which is clean. And there is a segregation of, of those things. And, and it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul responds to that, to that reality in the culture that, that he addressed, that he grew up in. He addresses those things here in 1 Corinthians Beginning in verse 23, all things are lawful. All things are lawful, says the Apostle Paul. Anything is lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not everything or all things edify. Not, let no one Seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. Where are we headed here? We are headed to this place that, that um, uh, the Apostle Paul is acknowledging that there's stuff sold in the meat market that um, was offered to idols. And there were many in that in the in the Christian church there in Corinth that had issues with that. My goodness, uh, you mean you don't ask questions? Well, the Apostle Paul turns this he he, he takes this subject and he turns it inside out. I have a feeling that there are things in our lives that we would say that's absolutely off limits for any believer. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? There are definitely things that as believers we say we must not partake in those things. But there are many of those things that Paul would classify as completely lawful. There's complete liberty in those things. And yet we draw circles around them and say, uh, we dare not penetrate that circle. And anybody who does falls under our judgment. Our judgment. Hmm. Verse 24 again. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Does that sound familiar to you? We just read it in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you wish to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. In other words, um, you don't have to know every single detail, especially if it's going to stir up your conscience 
and make you worry about it. Because Paul's pretty clear, this isn't a big deal unless it's a big deal to somebody else. But if anyone should say to you, this meat was sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, for conscience sake. I mean, not, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered? concerning that for which I give thanks. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the measure. The question is, can you do this thing in your liberty to the glory of God? If you cannot, Paul says, that's the point at which you refrain. If it doesn't glorify God, refrain. Give no offense either to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. It's interesting to me that he is worried, not worried, but he's, he's wanting the, the uh, Corinthians to be clear that they need to be careful not to offend not only just those within their circle, that's the church of God, but even those that are without who are looking on, who think that there ought to be circles drawn around certain things and prohibition put on those certain things so that you don't offend them. The last thing you want to do is cause them to stumble because you have walked in liberty, liberty that God has given, but their conscience becomes the measure by which you say, I will choose in my liberty to refrain. It's interesting to me that this comes, this, this, um, this argument that is referencing the very psalm that we are reading. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. Verse 32 again. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many that they may be saved. So let's go back to Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Those who dwell in it. Hmm. What about the juxtaposition between the world and the church that we see in the New Testament? What about the enemies of God and the unrighteous? Is he sovereign even over them? Is he, is he truly the one in, that uh, they belong to as well? 
Well, if God is creator, I think we can say very safely he is also sustainer. And if God is sustainer, I think we can say as well he is also redeemer. He is the one who makes anything that is unclean clean, anything that is unholy holy, simply by his touch on it. Job in chapter 38 <laughs> I, uh, is confronted by God. There in verses 4 through 6, the Lord says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you, Job? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements? And since you know, or who stretched out the line on it? And on what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone? It's interesting. The last song we sang, the title was Cornerstone, right? And it's speaking of Jesus, absolutely. We know him to be the cornerstone of our faith. Here, the Lord is speaking to Job about his creation. In chapter 40, chapter 40, Job basically says, what can I say? There's nothing to say. And then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. And then Job answered the Lord said, and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, I will not answer even twice, and I will add nothing more. I... I think it's instructive for us as believers that when we start building fences and say, this is, this is, the, uh, um, this is what a Christian looks like. And by the way, looks an awful lot like me. We begin to draw lines and what happens with us is we begin to then suggest to our, our crazy little brains that we might know better than God concerning his grace. Could grace happen here, even in that desperate wickedness? There's a big circle around that. And it's unrighteous in, in every detail. It's black and filthy. Can the grace of God penetrate that? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely it can. And I think that's, it, it's instructive for us as we approach the Lord in worship. And we're going to be talking clearly about his protocols. None of us will measure up to these protocols. It's only by his grace, only by his grace extended to us 
that we are able to even think of approaching him. Let's go on. Verse 2. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. It's interesting that the, the seas and the rivers here, poetically, and in, in, um, in the, the context of this ancient text, the sea um, and the river represent chaos. Um, when, you, when you look at the sea, what, what do you see? You see randomness, right? You see um, things that, uh, the, the waves and the tides that can't be controlled by, by any human engineering. And it is, it is uncontrollable. And poetically here, these, these uh, images uh, represent or, some, or are symbolic of chaos. And what, what the writer is saying is that God controls chaos. In fact, that's it, precisely what the scripture says um, happened in creation. He brought things into order. And that's the beauty of his creative power. And the, the, the question that runs races through my mind is, is there disorder in my life? Is there chaos anywhere that I'm confronting? Um, I have to think that if most of us are honest, there's a good bit of that going on. And it's, and it's something that God delights in bringing into order. That's, that's part of his creative and part of his redemptive process bringing that which is completely chaotic into order. He is the maker of order. Now, we, we have this, these first two verses are, are uh, uh, this beautiful, beautiful rendition of extolling the Lord indeed as creator and as sovereign over all things. How many would say that's beautiful praise? I think it absolutely is. It's speaking of the reality of who God is. In, in I think, in perhaps um, terms that are not common. We often don't think, of, uh, think globally. Truly, very often, most of the time, we think within our own sphere of, of influence. That's where we live, and that's normal. It's, it's, it's not uncommon. It's, it's reality for us. But, but these two verses speak of God in, as, as creator, God as sovereign over all things. And it's beautiful praise because guess what? Our little sphere fits into all things. That's a beautiful expression for me anyway it's a beautiful expression of the fact that i can trust god with anything i can trust god with the things that i don't understand wow and there's a whole lot of that 
Now, he, he shifts gears here. Who may ascend the hill of the, uh, into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? Who? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Now, what is the hill of the Lord? That's kind of a weird statement, isn't it? What is the hill of the Lord? Is it one of those mountains like what we have right over here, the white tanks over here, I guess? What's the hill of the Lord? And, and what is his holy place? What in the world is that? Reader number four, would you come and read for us? The hill of the Lord, his holy place. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, did that explain what the hill of the Lord is? Perhaps. It helps. The city of the Lord um, we know is Jerusalem, right? The city of the Lord. And in that city, there is a very important edifice. We know it as the temple. It is the place of God's dwelling. And we know that in that temple, there is a holy place where the, where the, or there's an outer court. There's a holy place where the, where the, uh, uh, priests do their priestly uh, activities. And then there is the Holy of Holies. We spoke of that several weeks ago it, on, on the weekend. Holy of Holies is that place in which we um, know that the Lord dwells. He, that's his living place. Um, in the, in the, uh, before the temple was built, there was a tabernacle, and it was nothing. It was a tent. It was a, a tent prescribed by the Lord, built to uh, exacting specifications. And the story of Israel wandering through the wilderness. We know that God made His presence known uh, during the day as a pillar of cloud, and rested over that holy, holy of holies in the in the tabernacle, and at night. The Lord's presence was made known as a pillar of fire. He was always present. He was always present. Um, the hill that the temple is built on is um, Mount Moriah. Anybody know what Mount Moriah is? Ever heard of Mount Moriah? Mount Moriah is the place where... Abraham was led to go with his son Isaac to give an offering to the Lord. And what happened there was certainly not what Abraham expected. 
The Lord instructed Abraham to offer his son. He offered his son as a sacrifice to God in obedience. The glorious, the glorious ending of that story, however, is that God um, provided a ram in the bush, a lamb, if you will, and it is there that we get the imagery that God's salvation is provided through the Lamb of God. That became a picture of God's perfect provision in Jesus. It's not the sacrifice of a son. No, it's the sacrifice of the Son of God, the Lamb of God that provides salvation for all, who takes away the sin of the world. And that, that is the, the place where the temple is built, that very place. It's interesting to me that God, um, long before, long before uh, David had plans in his head for, for the temple and Solomon began the building, God picked out the place. And something really amazing happened there already that foreshadowed the salvation of God for his people. Not just his people in Israel, but the people of, of all humanity. Now, who may ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place? in this holy place, on this mountain. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Turn with me back to Psalm 15. Psalm 15. We see a mirror here of, of Psalm 24, but perhaps with greater detail. David writes, O Lord, who may abide in your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? Remember the tent, the tabernacle, that holy place and that holy hill? Verse two, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Just curious, how many of you know, how many of you use the word rep, reprobate? Rep, rep, I can't even say it. Reprobate. Do you use that in the vernacular? Do you use that every day? No. What in the world does that mean? One who is despised. One who is absolutely despised. Uh, unprincipled. A depraved person. Wicked in every way. And uh, some would even say rejected by God. 
That's what that word uh, means, according to Webster. In whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. Wait a minute, what does that mean? He swears to his own hurt and does not change. Well, it, it, it means that he's not conveniently inconsistent. How many of you know there's plenty of uh, pictures in our culture of those who conveniently choose to be inconsistent in what they say, what they say they believe, how they act, what they hold as truth even? Yeah. Um, he does not change. He does not. Um, he does not um, deal with or does not entertain doing anything differently. He's consistent in how he walks and 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 how he what in what he believes and how he walks that out. He does not put out his own money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. That's a parallel passage to Psalm 24. So who in the world can approach God? Does anybody, does anybody fit this bill? Again, if we're honest, I think we, we have to walk away and say, I'm not, I, it's not me. It's not me. Uh, reader three, you, for, you thought I forgot you um, because we went to reader four, but reader three, would you read for us Psalm 51? Many of you know this psalm very well. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my, my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Mm -hmm. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. He who has clean hands is one who can approach the Lord. Reader number five come and, and, and share with us again from this psalm what it, um, David's prayer regarding a pure heart. It's interesting to me that, that uh, David is asking the Lord to wash him. The Lord, asking the Lord to take away his iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from thy presence, and do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Yeah. Again, David is asking that the Lord would do that work. And I think it's instructive for us that we can't clean up our own act. It's got to be God's work. It's got to be God's provision. 
because we can't do it ourselves. Reader number six, would you come and and prepare to read for us as we go on to uh, read, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. Now behold, he has a son who has observed all his father's sins which he committed, and observing does not do likewise. He does not eat at the, the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife. That's the prophet Ezekiel speaking about the righteous person. And notice that he, he uh, this, this idea here of not lifting, lifting up his soul to falsehood here in chapter 24 of Psalms has to do with the idea of lifting up, lifting up your soul or giving your affections to that which is false. That speaks of worshiping idols, worshiping that which is, is anything but God. It could be, it could be um, any number of things in our lives. It could be another person that we give, give uh, uh, we, our, we make our, all our decisions based on a person or we make all our decisions based upon um, whether it's going to, how it's going to impact my bank account or we make our decisions based upon what we, we perceive to be um, worthy of honor. That's really what worship is all about, right? It's about how, how, what is the center of our decision-making? What is the center of our, our, our living and our pursuit? The Lord says he is the one and only who is worthy of that kind of attention. He is the one and only who is worthy of that kind of of honor, that kind of um, love. Let's go on. Who is not committed to deception. One who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. We, we uh, have, I, I, in our vernacular, I'm sure you've, had, you've, you've witnessed people been in conversation with somebody and they say, I swear, I swear to God that I didn't do that. What does that mean? It, it's, a, it's an oath, right? It's an oath. It's a commitment. And to swear deceitfully means that I am committed to being deceitful. How many of you know that, that um, when you tell a lie and you, you have to end up supporting that lie with other lies? And then you have to support those lies with still other lies. 
And pretty soon you get so far afield from the truth that you can't even recognize what the truth is. That's being committed to deceitfulness. Um, the, Lord, the Lord is clear in saying that he honors truthfulness. We, we sometimes, uh, you know, here in this blessed community, I don't think we have a great deal of issue with, with pridefulness. But in our culture, we have plenty of it, don't we? And pride is, pride is that is, is a glaring piece of work that says, that says um, I'm going to spin this entire web around a lie. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And when the, the truth is finally delivered, um, very often people fall in catastrophic sorts of ways. It completely ruins their lives. Um, so the, the Lord is saying very clear, um, that's not the type of person who can come before the Lord. There's got to be... Beautiful verse, verse 5. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Reader number seven, would you come? And also reader number eight. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God, from the God of his salvation. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come upon me and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Yeah. It's speaking of truthfulness, and it's speaking of the fact that God's righteousness is given to us. In, in Psalm 36, the, the writer says, Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you, and your righteousness, your righteousness, to the upright in heart. It's God's righteousness that that makes us righteous. It's not our own. Um, and the beauty of forgiveness um, is, is undeniable. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. What does the word impute mean? It means to give and to bestow upon Instead of imputing iniquity, what, what, does the, what does the Lord do for us? Instead of imputing iniquity, he imputes righteousness to us. That's his great gift to us. Would you, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 4? Keep your finger there because we are coming back. But Romans chapter 4.
beginning in verse 1. What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. But the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is recognized or reckoned as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sin has been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. That, that beautiful, beautiful passage is uh, completed in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our, in, our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We exult in hope of the glory of God. It is by faith we are justified. And it is by his grace, that, in his grace that we stand. And, and that's really the only way that we can approach the Lord. So who may ascend? Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in this holy place? Those who do not stand in their own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. And verse 5 again, beautifully in, in Psalm 24, it's he who shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And there's no better place to be. Reader number nine, Psalm 27, verse four. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his, his temple. Yeah, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's no better place to be, no better place to be than in his house. Why? Because that's where he is. That's where he is. Verse 6 in Psalm 24. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. That's worth pausing. That's worth taking a note and saying, amen and amen. There's no better place to be. And this is the generation. This right here is the generation. Can we say that? I think we can. I think we can because we are those 
who can stand in his holy place. We are those who can ascend the hill of the Lord, not because of our own righteousness, but because our hands have been made clean, our hearts have been made pure by the blood of Jesus himself. Amen and amen. Going on, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. The picture here is um, of the return of that very important piece of furniture that belongs in the Holy of Holies that goes out with the, the warriors into battle in the name of the Lord and returns in victory. What is that? The Ark of the Covenant, yeah. And so what are these ancient doors? What are these gates? These are the doors, the gates of the temple itself. And it's saying very clearly, this is, this is the welcoming home of God's presence here in this place. I love this because it's, it's antiphonal. It's got a... It's got an antiphonal feel to it, doesn't it? Who may, or who is the king of glory? Oh, come on. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, strong and mighty in battle. Right? That, let me, let's do it again. Who is this king of glory? Yes, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? Yeah, okay, verse 10, let's do that again. Verse 10, some of us are back on verse 8, that's okay. Let's do verse 10. Who is this king of glory? Yes, yes, I, I, I feel like we need to do that one more time. Um, let's see if we can match enthusiasm all across the room, okay? Let's do it. Who, let's, let's go to verse eight. Who is the king of glory? Good, good. I, I, the only thing I think that could do this better would be for us to stand. Let's do it that way. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? Who is this king of glory? Who is this king of glory? Amen and amen. Yeah, that's what worship is all about. It's about exalting God for who he is and enjoying his presence. Welcoming his presence. 
And we do not do so based upon our own righteousness. We do not do so based upon our own cleanliness. We cannot even begin to approach God, much less stand before him apart from his grace. Psalm 118. I've got five minutes. Psalm 118. Would you turn there with me? Psalm 118, beginning in verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. What is that suggesting? The gate of the Lord. Jesus spoke of himself as the gate, the sheep gate, right? He spoke of himself as the way. And no one comes to the Father except through him, right? Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to thee, for thou hast answered me, and thou hast become my salvation. Think about that. Thou, you, have become my salvation. That's speaking of Jesus, isn't it? You have become my salvation. My salvation isn't based upon what I do. It's based upon who you are. You have become my salvation. It goes on. Lest you wonder who this is talking about. Verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. We, t- we, s- we ended worship this evening. Or we, let me say, we had a, we had a Selah moment singing about the cornerstone. It is Christ himself. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech thee. O Lord, we beseech thee, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Do you recognize that last verse? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Does it sound familiar to you? It should. That's the the resounding words that came from the hearts and the mouths of those who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem on what we know as Palm Sunday. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's glorious. Jesus is our only entry, our only entry into that holy place. 
I, I hope that tonight you have um, been stirred up. Stirred up with the, with the understanding that, that there is no better place to be than in the house of the Lord. But we can't get there by ourselves. We come at the invitation of the Lord Almighty and it is his righteousness that paves the way for us. Thanks be to God for that reality. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much, so, so very much that you don't hold us at arm's length. And the answer to these questions, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The answer that, to that question is those of us who stand in your righteousness, not our own. Let's do that right now. Would you all stand? Even as we stand, Lord, we say we thank you. We thank you that you welcome us into your house based upon your great gift to us. We stand in thanksgiving. We stand in testimony of your grace. We stand in the proclamation of the truth that you and you alone are the way. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name. We love you with our whole hearts and we pray that our lives would reflect that, Lord, that our lives would bear testimony of this great truth that we have been in your house with the King of glory. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Be in the house. Mm -hmm.